it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So jump on there and subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Kay Wenigal and Michael Steindl. Hi, Nat. Hi, listeners. Hi, everyone. Great to be back. As we transition to a more distributed and renewable electricity system, we're grappling with different ways to manage it effectively. One strategy is demand response, or demand management, as it's also known. The essence of demand response is getting electricity customers to reduce their consumption during periods of peak demand to balance the load on the grid. This can save on expensive grid infrastructure and rarely used generation plants, and it's being employed all around the world in places as diverse as Texas and Korea. And it sounds like common sense, right? But as always, the devil's in the detail, and a number of different programs and trials are underway to find the best way to make it work. Last year, the Victorian Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, affectionately known as DELP, partnered with our network business, Gemina, on what they called their Power Changes trial. Today we're joined by Daniel Zhang, who is a Senior Policy Officer with DELP, with a long experience of energy policy. And Daniel was closely involved with the Power Changes trial. Hi Daniel, thanks for joining us. Hello everyone, great to be here. I've given a brief overview, Daniel, but can you give us a bit more detail and explanation about what demand response actually is? Yeah, sure. So as you, as you opened with demand response is essentially trying to engage households or, or I guess any consumer really or user electricity to change the way they use energy to try to reduce, reduce or sometimes even shift energy usage to a time where it's, I guess, more, more uh, effective on the, uh, during the day. So, uh, I guess often there's there's issues as you mentioned about peak demand. So that's when during any given day, you know, everyone's using energy at the same time, and generally this happens, you know, either in the morning as people are getting ready for work and putting on the kettle, or going home after a day's work and you know starting to cook dinner. And this can also be impacted by other activities such as you know doing doing the dishes or or doing I guess washing a load of clothes. These are often quite energy intensive activities so the intention is really to try to better utilize people's usage of electricity to a time where it's probably not as in peak. Yeah so shifting their use and I guess it's particularly you know we're all aware and particularly in hot weather with everyone's air conditioners running that times like that it's really exacerbated. That's right and I think you know over the last little while um, you've seen an explosion of air cons and um, everyone that, that I know would really have one and the as you say the the challenge is on a hot day when the grid is already under quite a lot of stress if everyone's setting their air con to you know the lowest possible setting at you know 17 degrees 
that really draws a lot of energy from the grid and kind of puts the infrastructure at stress at times. So I think um, as a community, you know, everyone has a role to play in terms of, you know, kind of being a little bit more conscious about their energy usage to, to, so that everyone can kind of have access. Daniel, I really have a question though. You're in the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. Yes. So what's that got to do with demand response? I guess even though it's not really reflected in the department name, all the energy policy areas and program areas uh, for the Victorian government sit under DELP. So I've kind of just come in a little bit later to the piece. So we, we moved over a couple of years ago, but definitely there's a big presence within the department that fo- really focuses on energy and, um, and across, a, across the whole, I guess, the, the whole supply chain. So what caused them to put in a program on demand response? What were some of the impetus for that? So I think, as you mentioned, that there is this challenge around managing peak demand, which in the energy area, we, I guess we're acutely aware of. For us, there's also a bit of um, interest in looking at how do we, how can we better utilise smart meter infrastructure that we have here in Victoria. So smart meter is actually an integral part of this pilot, which I can talk to in a little bit more detail later. But we um, really partnered with Gemina uh, for this pilot to explore, you know, what demand response looks like. How can we leverage our smart meters better? And how can we also kind of explore and test, you know, household and residential engagement in, in a demand response program such as this to see, you know, what incentives work, if, you know, how their behaviour change was affected and any kind of feedback or insights that, you know, participants could provide so that we can, you know, all not necessarily dealt directly or Gemini, but, you know, as, a, as an industry or as, 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 as a community, we can all um, do these things better in the future. And you also have an interest in energy affordability, I understand? Yes, that's right. So I currently sit in the energy affordability team. So we run a whole bunch of projects that are really designed to, I guess, support um, vulnerable households or, or disadvantaged households in our community. I think one of the one of the challenges in recent years is is the issue of rising electricity costs, which obviously is an essential service and it does hit, I guess, a lot of the most vulnerable in our community quite hard. So I think it's a really good, I guess, push to actually have specific areas in government that are really tuned to trying to provide assistance where possible to kind of ease the, the cost of living pressures on, on, on these households. So prices went up, I think, after Hazelwood closed down, and that was due to a mixture of all sorts of reasons, such as suppliers, price gouging and, and other things. Yep. How do you propose to get prices down, or how do you think that w- will work? Uh, so I guess the, the challenge is there are so many um, factors that influence price from, from the wholesale component to the distribution and transmission and also the retail component. So governments, I guess, across our, our space, there's a lot of um, different programs happening that, that are looking at how do we possibly uh, in totality reduce or you know, ease, ease pressure on households. And uh, you know, I guess one of the government's big programs is the Victorian Renewable Energy Target. So uh, at the moment, the then uh, there's a lot of renewable generation um, yeah, that's coming been online. Yeah, in the last few years. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and I think that you know, I guess it'll be really good to see that um, all kind of come online and really dampen wholesale electricity prices because I think that's a big contributor. And you know, especially with with the fall of Hazelwood, you know, I guess that it's really t- turning everyone's mind to you know the, the issue of generation and and how do we get you know cleaner and and um, and more renewable sources. So effectively, what you're saying is clean renewable energy reduces prices. Uh, well, any generation reduces prices, but yeah, I mean, at, at the moment, renewable is you know just makes sense to, to install. 
Daniel, looked at from a system point of view, it's it's really easy to see how demand management will lower prices because the the cheapest electricity you can buy is the one you don't have to buy. That's right. <laughs> and so if you don't have to build that generating capacity, that certainly decreases the average price. But from the ordinary pundit's point of view, the ordinary customer, suburban customer, they're not normally looking at such a global picture. So what motivated them to participate in this program? What were the benefits for them? What was the sell to them to actually participate? Yeah, maybe we need to back up and get a bit of an explanation about the Power Changes program. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, I'll just skip that, haven't I? (laughs) (laughs) So tell us what the the program was and what motivated people. Yeah, no worries. So I guess if I was to kind of go back um, right right to the, um, I guess, the the problem at hand um, is really, so from a government perspective, we were looking at, you know, how can we better utilise smart meters? And Gemini, as an uh, electricity network, um, they, you know, as any network does, they grapple with the issue of peak demand. So because they have such a high proportion of, because they serve the, um, in a, you know, I guess, north, northern metro uh, area, uh, they have a high proportion of residential customers who, um, I guess, you know, as we just talked about earlier, Generally, on hot days, they you know they, they see a lot of demand coming in from air cons at the same time. So they really looked at some of the areas which were facing constraints. Which which what that means is, um, you know, over time they will have to build a lot of new uh, infrastructure to to meet the meet peak demand during summer. So this program was really designed from their perspective also just to see how we can uh, I guess engage consumers to manage their demand or you know just. Be more conscious about their demand. And, and you're talking there about distribution infrastructure rather than generating. That's yeah. right. That's okay. right. So, and I think that's the challenge um, over time. I mean, there's just so many components from getting, you know, making the electricity to to getting it to um, to your household. Uh, there's so many different players, and um, you know, I guess there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure investment is efficient, and we can, you know, try and not, mm-hmm. you know, I guess put minimize prices where possible. But so in this, the motivation, yeah. Yeah, so, the, so that was the motivation. So we, um, I guess, in partnership, we went out to uh, some of these constrained areas in their network. So uh, some of the suburbs include Ivanhoe, Alfington, and Craigieburn. So we approached households in those air- eligible areas. So we did a, did a mail-out to um, eligible households, letting them know about the program that they could sign up and engage in the program. Uh, we also went through, I guess, a number of community organisations to try to recruit, recruit recruit participants. So this involved a number of primary schools as well as um, kind of local parks and associations or, uh, groups as well. So at the end of the day, we, um, we ended up having about 600 households sign up. And I guess from there, what we, um, what we provided to them were a number of platforms, including a phone app, and uh, an online portal to help them, I guess, better me- uh, measure and track their energy usage. So essentially what the, the program um, really was looking at was on hot days, we would send them, uh, you know, notifications through SMS to say, look, um, there's, you know, there's a, there's a hot day coming up. We'd like to run a, you know, a, a bit of a challenge during, you know, two to three hours during the hottest time of the day to see if households could, um, you know, shift or, um, or reduce the amount of ele- electricity they use. How much warning did you give them? Sorry? How much warning did they get? I think they were notified the day before and there'll be reminders, uh, I think, a couple of hours beforehand. But it's really interesting because even though households were um, 
you know, signed up to participate in the broader program. Um, at each of these challenges, which we ran, which I think we ran a total of six over the summer, they kind of had the opportunity again to opt in or opt out if, mm. if the circumstances didn't suit or if they had, you know, company over and they didn't really want to uh, turn their aircon or reduce the, 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 the you know, the And they would have been on the hot days, those That's right. Days. So all the, I think all the six events, the maximum temperature was over 30. So that this was throughout kind of the, the summer months. Um, so these are foreseeable events. Yeah, that's right. So you'd kind of, well, I mean, uh, Gemina would um, kind of estimate or you know predict what their, you know, what the what the temperature would be at the next on the next day and what they expect demand to be, and if there was a good opportunity to kind of test mm. demand response, we would uh, contact uh, and what, participants. What were the incentives, or was there more than one incentive, and did did people respond differently? Yeah, sure. So the incentives were broadly similar so i think i might have to actually touch on the methodology before we can um really get into the incentives but essentially we used um a kind of calculation method called uh kaizo 10 by 10 and i think kaizo stands for the californian and now i'm forgetting what it stands for but anyway it's a kind of um, methodology that that's come out of the u.s um, measuring uh household usage so essentially what that methodology allowed us to do was um, and, and with the benefit of household smart meters, could estimate what a household's expected usage would be on a hot day, mm-hmm. similar to the days that we were planning to run an event. And this was done by kind of looking at the last 10 similar hot days mm-hmm. that that household had experienced and seeing what, you know, what, what their average baseline. was. That's right. And um, which is really... I guess important because, as as you know, each household uses electricity in different ways. Yeah. So it's kind of good that we can use their historic data to establish a bit of a baseline, which is also, I guess, a fair you know a fair way to then work out if people have actually reduced their electricity or not. Mm-hmm. So after we work out worked out a baseline, I think that the the understanding is is on hot days people generally use about two and a half times their standard usage on a hot day. Two and a half times, wow. Yeah, so I mean, I guess some sometimes it's very easy not to really think about, you know, if, if you're just cranking on the aircon and you get home and the, and the house is really hot and you haven't put your, pulled your blinds down, oftentimes, you know, people really just, um, you know, react to that and, and try to, uh, ease, you know, make it more comfortable. So I guess we, we, we provide a whole bunch of tips around, you know, even simple things like pulling down your blinds on a hot day or even, you know, say, cooling your house earlier in the day so that mm-hmm. it's a comfortable temperature rather than, you know, cranking up the air con, you know, at, at the really hot times. But Effectively using your house as a thermal battery. That's that's right. So so I think we, yeah, estimated that households generally use two and a half times. So we set targets um, around 1.8 to two times their usage. So effectively, if they kind of use less than, on the day, if they use less than the two and a half times average and they were kind of closer to the 1.8 to 2 mark, they would be rewarded. And that would uh, come in the form of uh, points that they could then, depending on which area they were located, they could uh, kind of cash it in either for a financial voucher, so they could spend, uh, you know, Hoyts or Coles, or for some areas... They would they were able to donate that that money directly back to their community organisation or their school, which was great as well. So we kind of had two different areas which had different incentives. So some were really supporting their community groups and actually quite engaged mm. because there was that kind of you know community factor feel, about it. Feel good. Yeah. That's right. Um, and others, so I think the Craigieburn area because there are kind of a lot of, a lot of kind of young families. Um, we looked to, I guess, try the 
the direct financial incentives in those in those senses. And I think generally we found that the direct financial incentives were slightly better at uh, getting results than the community the community uh, incentives. But with that said, um, you know, I guess they're just different models, and um, you know, the community side as well was actually really. Uh, really kind of fascinating to see. So I know I think um, each of the primary schools that were involved, they managed to raise about $10,000. And I think for one of the primary schools, I think the Alfington Primary School, they managed to, you know, fund their, you know, a, a new basketball court, you know, court or something. So that's really exciting really to see. Really tangible mm-hmm. benefit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. Like people banding together, especially through the kids as well. Like, you know, you know going home and, tell, you know, telling the parents, look, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've signed up for this. Let's, let's get involved and be a little teaching bit more conscious. Parents. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, teaching the parents. That's right. And then having those real tangible outcomes on the other side, which is great. Well, if you've just tuned in, we're talking to Daniel Zhang from the Victorian Department of Energy, Land, Water and Planning about demand response. Did you get any feedback from participants? Yeah, sure. Um, so we ran a number of surveys throughout, I guess, at the end of each event, but also at the end of the, the full the full pilot. Um, and generally the feedback was quite positive. And we found that, you know, significant numbers, I think over 85% of people generally said that, you know, yes, this pilot helped them reduce energy, that it motivated them to be more conscious uh, about their energy usage, and but also that they would, part, they would you know, they would be interested to participate again and they, you know, they really, a lot of, uh, I guess, participants valued the the information that was provided to them around, you know, how they're going throughout the pilot and, um, you know, what tips and tricks they could um, employ to, to, I guess, use their energy more yeah, efficiently. Yeah, that'd be really helpful, wouldn't it? But I, I know that there is a number of supplies that do offer those demand mm. Um, options in in the peak periods. Yeah, so I think it's um, obviously networks. As I as I mentioned, they've got a bit of a uh, interest in managing peak demand on the network, so that you know it, mm. that it's not overly stressed and you know, the infrastructure doesn't fall over. But at the same time, you know, the retailers um, are running similar programs. Um, I think Power Power Shop, Power Shop um, it, is yeah? quite yeah is, is quite mm. um, or has a you know quite well known um, program, and also you're starting to see third parties increasingly enter this space so there are um what they call aggregators who kind of um contact and band together a whole bunch of solar or households with with solar and or batteries to try to um i guess you know um incentivize them to we've interviewed some of those yeah so it's really exciting this space Mm -hmm. it's all kind Mm -hmm. of um just on that participant's response you, you were implying that it was quite positive is there also a an energy literacy benefit as in do, do these learned behaviors of watching their response actually follow on and did you measure that at all yeah it's a good it's a really good point and i think uh, we actually had um a couple of uh, i guess uh, academic advisors help help design the the pilot methodology so we had uh, i think um, people from the center of market design at the university of melbourne and behavioral works australia at Monash University, and I think they really applied that, you know, that evaluation lens. And I think there was an, uh, an idea of, you know, wouldn't it be great to uh, check in a year later and mm. see if some of Find these behaviours stuck? Their blinds on the hot days That's <laughs> right. So I think, unfortunately, we, we never really quite got there, but um, it's definitely an area that you know it has been thought about, and I'm sure is it will be more more employed in other areas, particularly for for pilots that are run over multi years. So again, kind of thinking about uh, longer programs such as the one that PowerShop runs. So I think you you did some evaluation though, didn't you, about 
different types of responses that you got from different types of consumers. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I think on, on average, we found that across uh, the, the hottest days, households managed to reduce um, their energy usage um, by up to 35%. So um, obviously that varies amongst the households and you, um, you have a few specifics around that in terms of which households actually participate. And But yeah, generally you, we found that, um, and I think Gemina did a bit of work around this, they did segmentation on, on, their, on their, I guess, customers in the area. So um, obviously some, some households might be more price-driven, some households might be more kind of environmentally focused or some might just be all about, you know, lifestyle and I just want comfort at home. Generally, we found those who are kind of more um, active in managing their, you know, engaging with their energy and, you know, or who are a little bit more, you know, um, focused on price, they participated more often and were more likely to reduce their energy. So that's interesting because I guess going forward, it would help, um, you know, Gemini manage or, you know, better target these programs in future if they do run it again. But also, yeah, again, it's just understanding that uh, the community, you know, isn't a homogenous mass and, you know, I guess we can all be smarter going forward around how we tar- best target or uh, incentivize different parts of the community for the uh, best benefit. So you said, I think, it was 600 people that were invited onto the That's trial right. initially. How many actually participated on average? Yeah, so again, I, I think it changed between the six events that we ran, but uh, on ge- generally it was around 40 to 50% of those 600 households uh, opted in again for each of those um, each of those events, and again, you know, it may not have been the same forty fifty percent. You know, some some people might have been away, or the, as I mentioned earlier, they might have people over, so they chose not to. But consistently, I think we had a yeah a good solid you know base to to um, to evaluate the program with. So look, look we're, we're getting close to time, but um, there's some other Victorian government initiatives. That you know that have been on the boil or, or are coming up. Um, would you like to tell us briefly about some of the other things that the Victorian government's doing in this space? Yeah, sure. So I guess you know in in the department there's this keen sense of you know the the, the electricity um, you know space is evolving, and so is the I guess the ecosystem around um, you know the different aspects, particularly I think the, the network aspects. So having to change from you know, a one-way, one-way flows of energy to, to the household from the big generators to now, you know, so many households have solar and batteries and, you know, uh, you know, give it a few more years and electric vehicles will be in the mix as well. So uh, the government's really, um, I guess, quite supportive of households really um, getting involved in, in, in this, you know, if I can call it a revolution. So there's a bit of funding um, through the Solar Homes Project, which is a big announcement that uh, government announced last year. So that's to... Um, I guess, provide rebates for households, um, for solar panels, for solar hot water, um, for battery storage, as well as, I guess, solar for renters as well. So it's really trying to look at, uh, and I guess hopefully not leaving anyone behind and Mm. kind of making sure that there's something in it for everybody because uh, I think traditionally renters have uh, found it particularly difficult to access, um, you know, solar or, you know, to get a landlord on on Mm. board. Mm. And also even just in... household efficiency that's right yeah for renters the landlord has no incentive yeah Yeah, so i feel like um you know that that's definitely a space that that um needs to be worked in more but yeah as as i mentioned the solar homes projects is a big one to really 
kind of engage consumers and, and provide them these opportunities to you know install household um, you know solar and batteries, and and that's generally where you know we see the in, you know kind of the energy ecosystem moving forward. I mean, increasingly households will have their own um, generation or storage facilities, and um, as a department, generally I guess we're working towards making sure that. You know the systems are in place, and um, the right the right settings are in place to facilitate households to, um, you know, use their own energy when they can and feed it into. So, um, speaking about those settings, are there legislative changes, regulations needed to make this happen better and smoother? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen around. Uh, I mean, in the first instance, just even understanding what is behind the meter. So, I understand AEMO is. Um, creating a register around um, distributed energy resources. So it's kind of been doing a bit of a stock take around the country, I understand, of what solar and battery, um, you know, batteries households do have. Um, because the idea is going forward, um, we need to better understand, you know, kind of what resources are at hand and how we can best leverage those opportunities. But, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening. And uh, in, in the space of demand response, uh, you know, I think they're currently looking at how demand response could be uh, fed in at, at a wholesale level. So uh, at the moment, you know, it's just kind of generation um, at, at, you know, the generation market generates electricity and, and pumps to the households at a price depending on what demand is at any given time. But I think they're re- now looking at how if we can kind of accurately engage people and reduce the energy usage, if that can be fed into the wholesale market and reduce prices as well. So there's a lot, there's a lot happening. Yeah. So where can our listeners find out more, Daniel? Um, so I guess they can always, always go on to our um, energy.vic.gov.au website for a whole bunch of information about what's happening and I guess what the department's working on, including projects such as the Power Changes pilot. That's probably the best place to go. And what about solar homes and work around microgrids? So I think solar homes has their own dedicated website, which should be solar.vic.gov.au, I believe. But um, you can always just do a quick Google and it should be um, top of the list. You just Google solar homes? Yeah, solar homes. It should come up. <laughs> okay. And anything else? What other initiatives? I think we're also uh, doing a, a, a microgrid de- demonstration project. So that's really looking at how um, across a number of projects we can better share renewable resources and also um, you know, try new business models. But, um, yeah, a lot happening. Terrific. Thanks so much for your time today, Daniel. No worries. Thanks, Thanks for having Daniel. me. We've been speaking to Daniel Cheng from the Victorian Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on air, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.